Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Dory Clark today. Dory is a phenomenal thinker, phenomenal marketer, phenomenal you know, thought leader, a individual, and really one of the top individuals in the world on how to help you get your ideas really, you know, heard in a very crowded world. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I know it's going to be extremely valuable. So I want to encourage you to buckle up for an amazing conversation, as I always say. But I want to ask you the question that I always ask, are you ready to take it to another level? I have no doubt that we're going to be doing that today. And I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind-expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. And this is for leaders, entrepreneurs, and real estate investors who have a burning desire for the extraordinary. It is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate investing and beyond. We will distill the mindset, the habits, routines, the systems, the strategies, the tools, the thinking tools, and so much more from an individual like Dory Clark so that you can elevate to a life without limits yourself so that you can pay it forward yourself so that you can create greatness in your own life because you are destined for greatness, right? Every single one of us are really designed for greatness. We are all designed to do big things in our life. And I want to give you the tools and the ideas, the distinctions, the insights to do so. So I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really excited that you're here. And I want to encourage you to pay close attention because this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through personal growth, through personal mastery, through real estate investing, through future-proofing your career, through future-proofing your skills, you know, the way that you adapt in the world, uh, and, and of course, other ventures beyond real estate investing. Because at the end of the day, real estate or business, you know, these are all vehicles that we can create outcomes in our life. And, you know, it's not the end all be all, but of course we need to apply what works. We need to model success because success does leave clues. And of course, that's where you're going to find those clues through this podcast. So I want to thank you for being here. If you are enjoying Elevate, we encourage you and I encourage you to to subscribe. If you haven't already, go and hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on a podcast platform. Of course, we're on every single podcast platform that's out there. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just go ahead and hit that subscribe and I uh, just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for uh, blessing us with a part of your day. I hope you're having a great day, by the way. Also, if you're enjoying Elevate, uh, pay it forward, share this with a friend, uh, screenshot the episode, share the link, grab the link, put it on social media, or text it to a friend. That's the fee that we ask is that you just share it with one person. If you want to overpay that fee, if you're really getting a ton of value from the show, of course, it is 100% free. All we do is we ask you to share this with your network and with people that you care about, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's people in your family, whether it's great friends, maybe it's friends that you haven't talked to in a long time. Hey, just want to check in on you. 
Also, I want to share this amazing podcast with you. So uh, we are grateful for that. My team and I, we work really hard on this. And guess what? We are not stopping anytime soon. So all I can say is, um, you know, welcome to Elevate Nation. If this is your first time listening, we will add a ton of value to you. That is our mission. It is, it is our mission to not only identify and apply how the best to best raise the bar, but we want to give this to you. We want to pour into you. And so I want to encourage you to buckle up because this conversation is really going to blow your mind. And so today I want to introduce you to Dory Clark. Dory Clark helps individuals and companies get their best ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was honored as the number one communication coach in the world at the Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Awards. She's a keynote speaker and teaches for Duke University's Fucross School of Business and Columbia Business School. She is the author of The Entrepreneurial You. I'm sorry, Entrepreneurial You, not The Entrepreneurial You, which was named one of Forbes' top, top five business books of the year, as well as Reinventing You and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, Clark has been described by the New York Times as an expert in self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. She's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and consults and speaks for clients such as Google, Yale University, and the World Bank. She is a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, a producer of a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album, and a Broadway investor. So let me just tell you that uh, we have a very multifaceted guest today, multidimensional as all of you are as well. And so I want to encourage you to look for ways that you can step up your capacity as being a multidimensional, multifaceted, high performer, because you're going to love this conversation with the great Dory Clark. Dory, welcome to Elevate. How are you? Hey, Tyler. I'm good. So nice to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I enjoyed our just brief catch up before. And I was telling you that I was enjoying, you know, getting more familiar with your work and what you're all about, just because I admire the way that you, you know, your curiosity, not only your curiosity, but also your commitment towards bettering yourself and reinvention and all these things. So I'm excited about this conversation. Um, but before we really dive in, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself behind the bio, behind all your work and all the public image and all that stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel free to press on anything that you want to talk about more, but I'll just say briefly, as I mentioned to you, I grew up in North Carolina and uh, I live in New York City now. And I really kind of got my start in the work that I do around marketing and branding and consulting because I managed to hit a lot of obstacles early in my career. I got laid off as a journalist. I worked on political campaigns. They all lost. I got turned down by uh, all the doctoral programs that I applied to. So I was uh, getting a lot of doors slammed in my face and I eventually found my way to entrepreneurship and really was was able to uh, to hit my stride in the sense that I was very impassioned about the idea of helping other people learn how to adapt in a job market that was changing so rapidly, where different careers that uh, that were very viable careers, uh, even ten or you know five or ten years prior, were suddenly changing and collapsing, where industries were changing overnight, and really figuring out for all of us 
how we can make ourselves more adaptable, how we can make ourselves more future-proof and actually get our messages to stand out in a very noisy marketplace. So that's how I spend my time professionally. And for fun, I write musical theater and I play ping pong. That's awesome. I love it. Well, we'll have to play ping pong because I was just telling somebody this weekend that I, I want to get a ping pong table. I, I love it. I think it's so yeah. much fun. It's the game uh, of sports. It's amazing. I've been taking weekly lessons since August. Really? Pandemic treat to myself. That's cool. So you like, are you like those guys over in China who are like, you know, 10 feet away from the table, just smacking it back and forth. You can't even see the ball. Is that I you? Not, I have not quite advanced to that level. Okay. I don't know <laughs> why I just, I, 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 I go right to the folks in China. Cause I feel like that's the only people I've ever seen who have played at that level. And it's like amazing. So yeah, we'll be looking out for you in the next, uh, Olympic bid for the United States there. We'll be cheering you on. So that's awesome. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I appreciate about your background and obviously I appreciate a lot about it, but you, you kind of described some of the early challenges of your career. And I would imagine at the time it wasn't like, Oh, look at this challenge, which is making me adapt, you know, um, with all of the challenges in, ter in terms of being laid off and having to really adapt your career almost 180 degrees. Um, and one of the things that I feel like is most important, whether you're an investor, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, as you say, you coined the term intrapreneur, you know, if you're, a, you're an employee within, or within an organization, it's about adapting that mindset towards saying, Hey, how can I be resilient? But then also can, how can I evolve as appropriate and gain the appropriate skills and gain the appropriate insights because things are just rapidly advancing and changing so fast these days. And it seems like that's been the central theme of your work. So what do you think separates those who, you know, encounter failure as fatal versus, you know, feedback and adapt in that, in that process. Is there anything that you'd say in terms of what separates those? Yeah, well, it's, it's an, it's an interesting question, of course, because ultimately in some ways we need to think like investors um, in terms of our careers, right? Because if, uh, if the stock market or the real estate market goes down and you sell in a panic, uh, you are, it is, it is final. It, you know, it is like, oh yes, that, that was a failure because that is done and we now see it on the ledger. Um, but if you actually take a long-term perspective in investing and you say, you know what, this is, you know, this is cyclical. This is, this is how it works. We have to ride it out. We have to be patient. We have to uh, take the long view and say, hey, I'm going to hold this for 30 years. Then all of a sudden it's, it's really a different story. And so when it comes to quote unquote failure in a professional context, you know, in your career, in your job, I think a lot of people sort of, you know, for, for natural evolutionary reasons, kind of default to this catastrophic thinking about, oh no, this is terrible. It's, you know, we're done, it's failed. But the, the truth is we don't yet have the time span or the perspective to see how it's going to play out. If you declare it a failure, then okay, fine, it's a failure. But if you say, okay, well, this is like the first phase. This is like data gathering. Okay, well, that didn't, that didn't work. How do we pivot it? How do we change it? How do we adapt it? It may actually only be the starting point of something that later turns into a great success that's just a longer term success. So early on when you first encountered, you know, some of these bumps in the road, I mean, if you were to look back, I mean, how did you truly navigate that and then start to make adaptation more of a habit, more of a way of life? Was there a moment or was that more of a, it took you some time? Because I know, I know for me, it took me a few punches in the gut before I said, hey, 
this is a calling card to be adaptable. But was that the same for you? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly the greatest motivator that we have is necessity. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, I, I had bills I needed to pay. And when I got laid off from my newspaper job, I mean, God bless the people who get laid off and they have a year's severance. I mean, yay, I'm happy for them. But I had a week. They literally gave me a week's severance pay. And so I had to come up with something very fast. So I felt like I had no time to waste. I had to, I had to dive in uh, because, I, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm, I'm certainly more privileged than some people. Like I had the, op- you know, I knew I was not going to uh, be homeless. But the, you know, the alternative is like, okay, well, are you going to move home to North Carolina and live in your childhood bedroom? And that was just not appealing. That was not what I wanted to do. And uh, it felt pretty dire to me that I needed to find a way to make money to support myself and to be able to figure something out. And so I was, I, I think the, the biggest lesson there was I was not focused on the negative of losing my mm. job because I didn't have time to wallow in it. It was a hundred percent focused on, okay, well, what next? What's the, you know, what's the next play? What's the next angle? Uh, because I've, I've got to figure something out in the near term. Yeah. And I can totally relate um, because, and, and uh, let me also just say too, that I think that that's really a powerful distinction because a lot of times like problems, are, it's a constant, especially in real estate and business. It's like, Hey, we have problems. So where's our focus? Is it on the problem or is it on the solution or the outcome or where we want to go? Because I'm a firm believer, like Tony Robbins says, is that where focus goes, energy flows, right? Where your focus is, is where you're going to head and perhaps you're going to perpetuate that mindset. So I think that's really powerful that you went there. But, you know, talk to us about how did you go down that path? I mean, what was next for you? Did you just start on the path of, hey, I recognize that there was a reinvention that was required? Or did you think, hey, maybe I just need a a slight pivot in the same direction? Or how did that look for you? Yeah. It's a very astute question, actually, because I think one of the things that we just all commonly as people experience is reinvention. There are times when we want to do it and we're excited about it, but there's actually a lot of times when we're a little bit backed into a corner and forced to reinvent. And that is, that was certainly anybody who's laid off, that is the case. It's a lot less fun that way. And in general, as a way of minimizing the, the cognitive overload you're experiencing, like, oh, geez, you know, I, I'm not going into that office anymore. I'm not getting that paycheck anymore. You tend to focus on how do you minimize that change as much as possible? Like, you know, the easy thing is, okay, well, uh, I'll get a job at a different newspaper. Okay. Right. And, and so, you know, that can be good in the short term, but, but actually it is helpful oftentimes where we can to take a step back and say, well, okay, is that really what I want? Or is that really the best move? Or are there broader forces at play here? What I what I didn't understand, and I mean, I'm not really blaming myself for this because I, I think this is um, the case with people in general, but I, because I was in that moment, I was not able to perceive the larger forces at play. I assumed that it was a sort of cyclical recession that we were facing. I mean, I knew that Lots of other newspapers were not hiring. Um, everybody had a hiring freeze. Nobody was uh, was taking on new employees. But I figured, okay, well, you know, this is this is a recession. Of course, they're not, but they're going to perk back up. They're going to start hiring again, and that was true in a limited sense. But there was also something much bigger at play, which is it was 2001, and the internet was coming. <laughs> and so I was I was in the earliest stages of the print industry, which up till that point had been remarkably profitable and remarkably lucrative. And suddenly all you know, all of a sudden their advertising revenue was going up in smoke 
because people are realizing there's a better way to reach consumers. And I didn't see that big picture at all. Um, where we where we can, where we have the ability and bandwidth to, you know, take a step back and reflect on what we really want to do or, you know, what the industry trends are, that's good. But, you know, in, in the short term, what we do need to recognize is the tendency is to sort of go for the next best thing that's closest. And, you know, as long as we're aware of that, we can perhaps... Um, navigate around it as effectively as we can. No, that's really well said. And, you know, the first, one of the phrases that comes to mind so much for me is, hey, change is a constant. But I I would also take that almost a step further, especially in business in today's environment and the world that we live in and say, disruption is a constant, you know, disruption is a constant. And like, I think about right now, you know, Clubhouse as an example, like I'm a podcaster, right? And I think about Clubhouse and I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Uh, You know, is that, is that podcasting? And and I heard someone say, hey, that's more so it's like, you know, you think about an artist or a musician and you're a musician, so you'll tell me, but a, a musician is like putting out a, you know, an album versus, you know, playing it live. That's what Clubhouse is to podcasting. And so adapting within that disruption and using it to your advantage rather than, you know, saying, hey, this is going to disrupt us out of business, but also being willing to adapt, I think is really important. But one of the things that I love that you talk about is kind of future proofing, and it couldn't be more relevant now. I mean, you think about any business, any business or investing company out there, I mean, you've got to be ready and anticipating that disruption. So how can you, you know, future proof yourself? One of the things that I think is really important is learning, surrounding yourself with great people, surrounding yourself with mentors, surrounding yourself with information and insights so that you can be creative. But is there anything else that you would add to that in terms of future proofing and being ready for that disruption in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're exactly right, Tyler, that learning is is pretty much always going to be beneficial to us. I would add on top of that, I mean, I've spent the past decade or so really focusing in and developing a methodology around how you become a recognized expert in your field. And what I came to the conclusion is that there's really three interlocking pieces that are critical here. One is content creation so that you're sharing your ideas publicly so that people know what they are. Uh, The second is social proof or basically your credibility so that people understand that you are worth listening to. And the third is your network, because you need people to help vet the ideas and help amplify the ideas. And those all really kind of work together in concert. And so I would say that if we think about ways that we can invest in ourselves that are going to pay dividends forever, focusing in on any or all of those are going to be valuable. I mean, just as an example, I was literally this morning talking to a coaching client, and we were talking about ways that he could enhance his perceived credibility. And one of the things I suggested to him was making a concerted push to try to land guest lecturing gigs at universities. And, you know, it's kind of a hassle, right, to have to reach out and be like, hey, you know, I, I can guest lecture on this and, you know, pitching people and trying to work your network and all of that. But the truth is, if you do that once and, and, you know, you spend a period of time just really focused on it, you are able to do three or four guest lectures at different universities, that is literally something that for the rest of your life, you can have on your bio. You know, it's never not true that you have guest lectured at this university, even if it was 30 years before. And it just becomes a valuable form of credibility that that compounds and you do it once, you don't have to do it again. 
So I think making strategic investments like that is actually incredibly helpful. Yeah, no, that's great. And and this is also, I mean, everything that you're all about is so relevant. I mean, you're talking about personal branding or even as you call it, your leadership brand, which I love as well. And thinking about, hey, well, how can I get noticed or how can I get my ideas out there in a noisy world? Because it is very noisy. It gets noisier and noisier. But also at the same time, we don't have to think it's it's overwhelmingly noisy that we will never stand out because we all have unique perspectives. We all have value. And so thinking about, you know, how can I get out there and bring out my own unique content to the world, utilizing social proof? I just wanted to rehash this, but then also supporting, you know, a network and, and investing in other people, allowing them to lift you up while you lift them up as well. I think that's really powerful. But if you think about standout networking, as you say it, when you're talking about building a network, I do want to get back to more of the personal branding as well and some of your marketing expertise. But what else would you say in terms of developing that circle of other people who can support you and help you gain new insights and maybe connect you to new people as well? Is there anything that you would say with regard to standout networking? Yeah, absolutely. So Networking is always an important thing. And I think most people understand that and appreciate it intellectually. Like, yes, it's good to know people. It's good to know different kinds of people. But the problem is always in the practical application, right? Because we get busy, we have a million things to do. And the idea of meeting and connecting with new people almost always seems to find itself in the important but not urgent bucket. And so for a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, when it became so much about like, you know, who are you hunkered down with and the people you already know, and you're not going to a conference, you're not going to a mixer. Uh, so, so you're not meeting new people. And so I think over the past year, especially, most people have had a very kind of insular worldview. And, you know, that's not going to hurt you today, but it probably actually is going to hurt you two years or three years or five years from now. And so I think we have to reorient ourselves, especially as we are, you know, God willing, coming out of the pandemic to kind of remind ourselves about this. Like, oh, this is a thing. This was a thing before. It needs to be a thing again Um, because, you know, you've gotten out of the habit of it and it it might not uh, rise to the top. But we have to continually make an effort to build our networks. And so, you know, it involves a little bit, you know, I say in air quotes because I don't actually believe this is true. But I think for some people, they feel like it involves some kind of like psychological risk of like, oh, but what if they turn me down? Well, like, (laughs) Yes, but what? (laughs) You know, oh, they're too busy to have coffee. This is not like the worst thing that's ever happened to us, right? Um, So just by way of example, one of the things that I have been doing pretty assiduously since last March now, uh, because I I used to have a a lot of in-person dinner gatherings, which was a great way to network. Um, But now I've been doing these virtual cocktail parties along with a colleague of mine, Alyssa Cohn, and we even wrote a piece about this and how how to do them, like how to host them in the Harvard Business Review, but we converted it to virtual. And so just about every two weeks, we will have this kind of virtual cocktail party where the good news is we're now able to have people from around the world uh, come and join, not just people who are physically in New York where we are. And, you know, for like 90 minutes, we have, you know, we kind of run a structured conversation so that people get to know each other. And it's just, it's just a small way to ensure that we continue meeting people and making connections, even when it's not so self-evident how to do that in the pandemic world. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. 
This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm really, I don't know the word networking to me, it's almost like nails on a chalkboard sometimes. Cause it's like, Oh, I just picture the, you know, that the stale networking event where you're throwing around, you know, business cards and it's like, Oh, look at me or meet me or send me an email. Or if you ever want to do business, let me know. And then it's like, you're off to the races. But I think that the, the missing piece is obviously deep relationships. And I think that's where you're going with everything you're talking about. It's not only building new, but it's strengthening old, it's strengthening new as well and going deep. Are there any practical tips that you'd have for folks? And the reason why I'm asking for practical tips are because, you know, especially in real estate and in business, you know, 95% of the time, all the best deals happen because of relationships. And it's not about, Hey, what's openly marketed or what does everyone know about, but it's, Hey, how have we really invested in each other? So do you have any practical tips about really strengthening and going deep with people on, on a, on a relationship building perspective? Yeah. I'll give you Tyler, one of my favorites, um, which I actually, talk about, I have a whole chapter about networking in my new book that's coming out in September called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. Uh, so I, I have a lot to share about it. But one of my favorite tips is what I call no asks for a year. And specifically what I mean by that is the part that makes people hate networking is the feeling that either other people are being calculated and transactional with them, like, oh, they want something, <laughs> or the feeling that they're being that way. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just kind of gross altogether. And so I actually created a blanket rule for myself to prevent any of that from ever seeping in, from ever seeping into what the other person perceives about me or even how I think about it which is that I have made a rule that I will not ask them anything for a year. And, you know, I don't mean like a silly question like, oh, Tyler, I like shirt. Where's it from? You know, like, <laughs> you're you right. can ask them questions. But like anything that's like a big ask, anything that involves uh, political or social capital in some way, I, I just don't do it. Because I, I truly believe that if you are playing the long game, the most important thing you can do is to be demonstrating to people that you are genuinely interested in them as a person and building a relationship with them. If you've been a good friend to someone for a year, 
then okay, you know, maybe that becomes time where it's appropriate enough because they understand that your motive is not to extract something and run. But, you know, maybe then it becomes like, oh, hey, kind of famous friend, would you be on my podcast? Or, oh, hey, person who writes for a publication, you know, could you give me advice or could you introduce me to your editor at that publication? That's something friends do for each other. But it, it becomes gross if if it's kind of the, the hit and run where you don't really know them. And so I, I think it's best to just avoid all of that. That's such a great rule. I love that rule because, you know, I kind of look at relationships as, you know, it's like, hey, let's make deposits. Let's make deposits. And, you know, if you ever have to make a withdrawal, you know, make sure that that's as scarce as possible and make sure you're as mindful as possible about that. I think that's a really, that's a phenomenal rule. I've never thought about that. No ask, no big asks, at least for a year and maybe thereafter if it makes sense. But, you know, it's got to be mutually beneficial too, right? You can't just be me, me, me. And obviously there are certain circumstances, but I think that's so valuable. And I think also the thing that I really like about how this kind of marries into like the personal brand is that what you're talking about is kind of like when I think about business building, it's prospecting or marketing. Your personal brand is built on a one-to-one basis, but it's also can be, you know, obviously scaled on a one-to-many or many-to-many basis, as you've talked about before. But where would you like to go in terms of personal brand? Because it's a very dynamic subject, but is there any any particular uh, area you'd like to start? I know we've already talked about content creation, social proof, and and obviously networking, but what else would you stack on it with, with regard to personal brand? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I mean, when it comes to, to personal brand, I think that more and more, it, it's becoming commonly understood that this is a thing we should be mindful of. Like, yes, this is important. Yes, this is a good thing. I think that where we still hit resistance is that there is a not insignificant subset of people that, you know, much like networking, like I feel like they're very similar in this way. Like almost everybody agrees like, yeah, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. And then simultaneously, it's like, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and I, I think it's really important to, you know, to, to push back and to reframe and to help people understand that this is not about encouraging people to be sleazy people or to do sleazy things that make them feel uh, feel bad or feel like they're a user or feel like they're a phony or something like that. If, if that's the way you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. Like sometimes people, if they have like a chip on their shoulder about it, they'll be like, fine, I'll try it. And then they, they try some extreme version of it and they're like, see, I hate it. It's like, well, <laughs> okay, I, I get it. Um, but really at a fundamental level, it's all just, you know, personal brand is about being cognizant of like, oh yeah, how do you, how do people see you now? Is it the way you want to be seen? If it's not, oh, okay, let's fix it. Like that's literally all there is to it. Well, and it's interesting because we all have a personal brand, right? When someone says Dory Clark or when someone says Tyler Chesser, there are, you know, associations that people have in their mind if they're aware of us, right? They may never, if they've never heard of us, then they may say, well, that's a weird name, you know, but, but other than that, it's, if you think about like a company or a brand purely, like I think of some of the most, you know, impactful brands in my life, which has been like Apple or Nike or Amazon or Google or what you, you name it. I mean, some of these brands, but at the same time, it's, it's the same thing with a person. It's what are the associations? It's this person is caring. This person is trustworthy. This person is ambitious. This person is thoughtful. This person is considerate, what have you. But I think, you know, that's how I look at a personal brand, but it's interesting because when, when I say the and even when I think about the word personal brand, the first association I have is, oh, this is 21st century talk. But it's interesting because personal brands have truly been around 
since, you know, day one of humanity. Would you agree to that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I like to specifically remind people that if the term personal brand is like, you know, just a little bit offensive to you, fine, make a substitution because literally it's your reputation. That's, that's it. Like that's the synonym. And I think that it, it, it helps clarify it sometimes because if you're actually, you know, people might be like, oh, personal brand, it's so dumb. Why do I have to think about that? Blah, blah, blah. But if you're like, yeah, reputation, that's dumb. Why do I need to think about it? It, it almost becomes self-evident. Like, you know, actually your reputation, that is kind of yeah, that's yeah, it's just a little bit, just a little important. And I don't know who was it. Uh, maybe it was Warren Buffett who said your reputation takes 20 years to build and maybe even 20 seconds to destroy. So thinking about that at all moments of, you know, am I investing in other people or am I asking for a withdrawal, you know, whether it's a year or less, or, you know, even if you've known someone for five, 10 years and you've really been investing, it's using a little bit of sensory acuity and recognizing that we need to be thoughtful of how are we giving to other people and how does this benefit other people around us. But one of the other things that I love about your work is thinking about standing out and letting your ideas spread. Because I think that for people who are going to be successful in business, whether they're real estate investors or whether they're technology entrepreneurs or whatever, I mean, it's about letting your ideas stand out and really take charge and take, you know, uh, become sort of, you know, spreading across the world in terms of whatever. But what would you say are some practical tips for folks to really get started, not only to cultivate those ideas within, but then from there, it's like, how do we, how do we, how do we get this to really spread? I mean, is there any thoughts that you have to that? Yeah, absolutely, Tyler. And you're referring, I have a prop here because because <laughs> I'm at home. Uh, this is my book, Stand Out. And uh, so we're talking about, you know, how do you, how do you find your breakthrough idea and how do you build a following around it? And so when it comes to the building a following part, one of the things that I lay out in the book is that fundamentally there's kind of a three-step process involved in spreading your ideas more widely. And this applies, honestly, whether you're talking about inside a company that you work for or, you know, writ large in the world. But basically it starts out one-to-one, which is, okay, you have some kind of an idea, some kind of a theory. Is it any good? Well, you know, the truth is, it's a little hard for you to tell because you're going to be a little biased. You're going to say, oh, it's oh, it's brilliant, right? And so it is a really good idea to have a, a small group of trusted friends that you can turn to, people who are knowledgeable in your field, kind of aware of stuff. And, you know, I say one to one. I mean, it, it could be like a group or something, but I mean, essentially it's like, who's your brain trust? You know, hey, Tyler, I had this idea what do you think of it? You know, and it, it yep. becomes really valuable because you can say, oh, Dory, that's great. Yeah, run with it. Or, you know, actually, I've kind of heard that before. Like, that's not, you know, it's not really your strongest. But what if you did blah, blah, blah? You know, that's how you refine it and you get your ideas tested and vetted to the place where, okay, maybe it actually is worth sharing. So then you go from one to one to what I call one to many. And that's where you begin sharing your ideas more publicly so that the people who don't already know you can start finding out about it. That, of course, is necessary to its dissemination because you only know so many people. So you might do that by writing an article so that people can hear about it. Or, you know, if you're working inside a company, maybe it's doing a lunch and learn. Maybe it's doing a blog post on your company intranet. Um, maybe it's giving a presentation at a conference. You know, there's a lot of ways to do it, but it's about how do you convey your idea more publicly so that more folks can see it and say, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. That's pretty good. And then the final step, you know, you're, you're doing this for quite a while because you got to build traction. 
But the final step is what I call many to many. And that is where hopefully your idea has now gained enough traction. Other people take it up and run with it. Because an idea can only go so far if you are the only person that is spreading, right? What you want is to essentially build a movement. And that involves getting other people bought in and invested and excited enough that they say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I love your idea about how teams can run more efficiently. I want to do this for my team. And that's how you, you know, it's many to many because you get other people singing its praises, other people talking about it. And that's what really enables the uh, the snowball to, to start rolling downhill. And I think it's really powerful the way that you share that it can't be just all about you for many to many to ever take on. Because if it's all about you, people are going to be like, yeah, you're great. But I mean, come on, what is, what's in it for me, right? Everybody's tuned in to the radio station, WIFM, what's in it for me? And is there anything else that you'd add to that, that thought? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think one of the best things that we can do, ideally, is to just in that mindset, try to think of ways to make it easy for people to take the ball and run with it. Like if, if your big idea, just by way of example, really is like, here's better ways to, to run your team or to motivate your team. Well, you know, don't just give a, a speech about it. Maybe give a checklist or create a workbook or, you know, like a discussion guide or something like what are the tools? What are the ways that you can make it super easy and low hanging fruit for other people to say, oh, this is fantastic. I totally want to do this. I totally want to spread this message. That's great. No, I love that. And and I think that just to rehash sort of the process that you just described in terms of one-to-one, one-to-many, many-to-many, it's almost like you're refining your, your idea as well by gaining that brain trust, that feedback, because you know, I mean, we're all smart. We all have limitless potential, but it gets amplified when we surround ourselves with other people who can help us think through some of the blind spots or what have you. So I I love that, but it is about by conveying, it's about putting yourself in position to take a mini risk of sharing, Hey, what's, what's going on within your mind and having them sort of help you refine that, but then not being so, Oh my gosh, they're attacking me or uh, this is risky. As you were mentioning earlier in the show about, if I share my ideas, you know, what if it, what if I fail or what if I say the wrong thing or, you know, because our, our mind tells us that if we make a mistake, it's the worst thing ever. But in, in reality, there's no real risk in going out there and really going for it. So I think it's really powerful, but, you know, talk to me about Dory, how you've really kind of evolved over your career from what we talked about early in terms of being a journalist, being laid off and growing through learning and bumping your head and networking and surrounding yourself with other people and, you know, testing your ideas out and writing books and all these things to now having multiple streams of income, multiple different things that you do as a freelancer, as a business coach, as an executive coach, as a professor. I mean, how has this all come together and where do you see this going in the future? Yeah, thank you very much. Well, you know, I I think Tyler, where it really came from, for a long time, I had a, a fairly traditional business, like a lot of folks where, you know, I did marketing consulting. And so I made money from consulting clients, you know, and then uh, after a while with my books, which are sort of aimed more at individuals, I began getting people coming to me and saying, oh, well, do you do coaching? And at first, you know, I'm like an idiot. I'm like, no, I don't do coaching. <laughs> Eventually enough people came to me and I was like, sure, okay, I can do coaching. So, but, you know, those were really the only kind of pillars of my business. But eventually I began to realize, you know, like, like you, it's a good idea to think about ways to create more passive revenue. And how, how can I do that? What are the steps that I can put in place? 
And I think a lot of people get hung up because they, you know, they want to sort of turn on the, the passive income spigot immediately. And of course, we'd all like to be able to do that, but it takes time to set it up. And so starting literally in 2014, I started experimenting with online courses. And I did my first online course then. I did my second in 2015. These were both done with other entities, corporate entities. And then in 2016, um, I started working with yet another third-party uh, vendor for online courses, and I also started creating my own. And as a result of just all the sort of investments over time in that, the, the really good news, I certainly did not see a pandemic coming, that is for sure. Um, but what I was hedging against was I thought, you know, I'm trading a lot of time for dollars. What if I got sick? What if I got just tired somehow of doing this? And so, you know, I was looking at sort of for the more banal explanations, but nonetheless, I was creating an infrastructure that once the pandemic hit, thankfully enabled me very quickly to be able to say, oh, well, you know, I don't have to create this asset. I already have this asset. So let's just kind of turn, turn up the heat. Let's turn the focus on that. And I was able to operationalize it and, you know, make, fortunately make up for, you know, more than make up for the lost speaking revenue I had in 2020 with additional sales of online products, which which has been very fortunate. Well, the pandemic is a perfect example of why future proofing is so important. We've got to be thinking ahead, you know, because a lot of people say, well, isn't isn't this enough or isn't what you're doing enough? And yeah, but what's what's going to happen next? I mean, what what are the next challenges that are inevitable in our future that you know, disrupt us, right? We've been talking about disruption so much. And I think it's a, per it is a perfect example of laying the groundwork and being aware of that, Hey, you know, we've got to be adaptable and not only learning and being willing to adapt in terms of how you show up, but what other assets can you create? That's why I love real estate is because these are assets that you can acquire and you can be thoughtful in terms of implementing a business plan. It's similar to a course in some ways, right? We're providing a service, we're providing a product for people, you know, and, and um, we're, we're receiving benefit also by adding value to other people. And, and you're doing the same through courses, which I think is awesome. Is there any, any um, suggestions to folks that are wanting to share maybe more of their ideas, whether it's through coaching, by the way, I love coaching too. I'm, I'm a coach and it's one of the greatest, um, not only the greatest business models, but also one of the most fulfilling things I do in my business by far. I would imagine you, you really love it as well, but are there any suggestions you would have to folks in terms of laying that groundwork? Is it, Hey, just one step at a time and just be willing to put in the hard work. Is there anything else that you'd say to that? Well, I think, I think more precisely, I have really become a big fan. I mean, you know, my, my mantra, uh, which I guess is probably probably just my personality, but uh, I, I am always really big on risk mitigation. And I, I think it is a, a massive misunderstanding of the nature of entrepreneurship, where so much of the discourse is around, oh, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, the best entrepreneurs just take all the risk. They're not afraid of risk. And it's like, no, actually, I think entrepreneurs are like really afraid of risk. And that's good. You should be afraid of risk. The whole point is like, how do you get smart about capping the downside, right? I mean, in, in real estate, you want to be thoughtful about this. And it's, it's true in all aspects of your life. And so I, you know, whether it's launching online courses or starting a side business and coaching or something like that, I'm very big on, you know, some of the ideas that, that have really been popularized by Silicon Valley about, you know, what is your minimum viable product? How do you do the smallest possible test to validate the concept before you start throwing money into it, before you start, um, you know, really pushing hard? How do you make sure that there's actually an audience out there for what you want? And if you can find that, and if, if you get product market fit, amazing, great, do it. Um, but you don't want to be taking a gamble 
It literally is a gamble because you know what? Casinos make a lot of money and there's, there's a reason for that. That is so valuable. Thank you for sharing that because it's a, it's a reminder, you know, a lot of times we have a validation in one area and we say, Hey, look, I've, I've got it going and I'm just going to keep going. And, you know, ultimately there, there can be failures that can be fatal if you're not careful and being thoughtful about, Hey, what can we do to test this idea first, just in terms of the, the discussion we had earlier about one-to-one, one-to-many, many-to-many, it's a process. It's about testing your ideas, testing your proposal, testing your business before you really go all into that. So thank you for sharing that. That is so valuable. Dory, are there any big things that you've really changed your mind about recently over the past couple of years and maybe not, not directly related to the pandemic and maybe business models and things like that, but is there anything that you've learned that you've replaced and updated your knowledge on? And sometimes this question goes flat, but I'm just curious, is there anything that, that stands out to you? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. I mean, I'm trying to think about, you know, I'm not sure if there's like sort of a, a 180 per se, but I, I certainly think about things where I've, you know, maybe they were deprioritized and now they've, they've gotten much more prioritized. I guess it's probably about full, now four or five years ago, I got a lot more focused on like health and working out. And, you know, I never reached a point where I was like, oh, you know, you're overweight or something like that. I mean, I probably could have lost like pounds, maybe 10 pounds if we're stretching it, but it was, it was never like a huge, you know, a huge thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the spirit of thinking about preparation and about risk mitigation, I feel like a really good question we can ask ourselves is for a given activity, is it going to make, is it going to be helpful? And is it going to make you more resilient pretty much no matter what? And if the answer is yes, if it's sort of like an all weather type of benefit, then that is usually a really good thing to focus on. And if you think about health, there's pretty much no circumstance in which it is bad for you to be in better shape, right? That's so true. Yeah, and and so just thinking thinking about like, I mean, it's a hassle, it's a complete hassle to make the time in your schedule to work out multiple times a week, to go to the gym or whatever. In my case, I, I have a gym in my building in New York, which used to be very convenient. And now with COVID, you have to like make a reservation and they kick you out after 45 minutes. I mean, it's like very annoying. But you do you do these things and you realize like, oh, okay, if you know, if ever there's an illness that I had in the future, like being in general good health overall is going to make it easier. If you got COVID, if you're in good shape, you are much more likely to be healthy and safe from COVID because of that. You know, we saw the people with, you know, obesity or comorbidities or whatever, you know, having a much harder time. So I never had really prioritized that. I mean, I, like in my college, literally I never went to the gym. I didn't even know where the gym was. <laughs> like I still don't. Um, but anyway, uh, focusing more on that is, is something that I uh, have made a point of doing over the past five years. No, that's a great example. And I love that because if we're going to grow, we've always got to be willing to question our previous assumptions and it's not attacking who we were before, but it's saying, Hey, here's who, here's who I am now. And here's the direction that I'm moving forward. Are there any other habits that you've facilitated or been conscious about, uh, over that sort of growth process that you continue to grow through that have been useful for you as well? Um, you know, when I think about habits, I, um, I will say I'm a big fan, uh, you know, just kind of riding the health train. I'm a, I'm a big fan of trying to structurally think about ways to make things easy. Cause you know, that's, that's the, the important thing, right? Like nobody yeah. likes to do hard things. So if there's a way you can make it easy, then it will probably get done. And so, uh, I have, I have all these 
friends that are like really into health and they think this is so dumb because you know you're supposed to take the, the, the big huge pills or whatever but what i discovered was the easy thing i i really think the gummy vitamins are very tasty <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and, and so i have these gummy vitamins that i take every day you know gummy multivites and gummy vitamin c's and that has become a sort of daily habit because they're tasty but it also is like oh yeah it is good to have vitamins is it as good as like the the big fancy horse pill you swallow i am sure it's not but it also is most likely better than doing nothing so sure. i am i am always happy to to choose the thing that i will do regularly that is better than nothing as compared to the optimal thing that I probably won't do. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about it. You know, you're, you're chasing things that are easy because that's why I ask about habits is that, you know, when we cultivate, cultivate conscious habits, that's about making life so much easier. That's about making high performance so much easier because when 40 to 80% of our, our actions daily are done through habits, that's about putting things on autopilot and really letting the compound effect take, take hold. So thank you for that. And uh, Dory, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation today. I really appreciate you. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's about being uncommon. It's about making uncommon choices. It's about laying the groundwork to be multifaceted. It's about, you know, open, opening yourself up for continual evolution. So I want to ask you a few questions. As an author yourself, I'd be curious to ask you, are there two or three books that you've read over the past few years that have been most impactful? Yeah, there's, uh, well, good, good question, Tyler. I actually keep a list in my phone. So I will remind, I can remind myself. Otherwise, you know, they kind of uh, sort of recede into. Uh, I'm the same way. I'm the same way, by the way. I, uh, yeah, I'm a huge reader. And so it's like, oh, they all kind of, at some point they blend together. Of course, I can draw out the insights when I need them, but I'm with you on that. Yeah, that's great. So some ones that I have been listening to uh, or, or reading that I think are really good. Um, so this one, actually, I read an advanced copy. It's not out yet, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, is from a friend of mine named William Green, who wrote a book called Richer, Wiser, Happier. And he, he's been a financial journalist for years. And uh, he interviews, it's basically like in-depth interviews over the past 20 years with all the world's greatest investors and breaking down what their strategies are and what we can learn from it. So I think that's that was awesome. Pretty, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, another one that I would recommend that I thought was quite interesting was called Into the Magic Shop by James Doty. And he is a doctor and a professor that's involved, I think, with some like mindfulness institute at Stanford. And it's essentially kind of a memoir. It's, it's a very interesting memoir about his transition from being this kind of a little bit like, you know, neglected by his family, hard upbringing kid. Um, who through the mentorship of a woman who worked in a magic shop uh, taught him about meditation and about principles of self-control that he used to sort of shape his life. And that I thought was super interesting. And then if we're giving one more, um, I will give a shout out. Uh, this is sort of a good classic uh, business book, but it's really genuinely interesting and well done is um, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, who's a uh, well-known restaurateur and now a uh, centimillionaire, thanks to uh, 
Shake Shack. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. What is a centimillionaire? I've never heard that. Yeah. It's uh, when, you, when you have hundreds of millions of oh, dollars. Oh, got it. Okay. Centim- I was like, wait a minute. Are we talking like, is that above Bill? I don't know. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, I'll put the links in. We will put the links in the show notes on that one. Of course, we'll put the links in the show notes to all of your books as well, Dory. Uh, we've got some amazing books there. Obviously, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, Stand Out, and of course, The Long Game. We're going to be waiting on pins and needles for September coming out very, very soon. So we're excited about that. And of course, uh, thank you for sharing those books. And obviously you're a, you're a big reader. You're always challenging the way that you think, which I love. So tell me, aside from our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis story? Yes. Aside from this conversation, Tyler, it's that's right. Yes. Yes. That's it. Caveat. <laughs> Probably the best way that I elevate my life. Well, I do. I do actually read every day. I mean, I'm a. I'm a I really am a big reader, and it's. Uh, I read every night before bed is just kind of my my ritual or way of relaxing myself. So, uh, so that that often is really helpful. I'm a big newspaper person. I know uh, sometimes there's uh, there's kind of a line in the business world of like don't read newspapers. You know that just gets you upset. I'm like <laughs> you know. I'm like, okay, well, if something gets you upset, fine, don't read that article. But that doesn't mean like, don't know what's going on in the world. I mean, good God, especially if you're a real estate investor, it's kind of useful to know what's happening. Like if there's yeah. a crime wave or if, you know, the water table is messed up, like, you know, these are good things to know. So I'm a big fan of newspapers and information in that regard. So I'm a very dedicated uh, reader in that way as well. And then just o- overall uh, enhancing my life, my other COVID project has been uh, trying to learn barista skills. I bought myself a fancy espresso machine. And uh, so far, um, four months in, I am not so much yet with a latte art, but I, I'm now officially able to make foamy milk. It's very foamy. Uh, I don't know how to turn the foam into art, but actually as we speak, uh, this coming Saturday, I hired a woman from a coffee shop who is coming to my home to tutor me in latte art. So hopefully the next time we speak, I'm going to be like rocking the hearts and tulips. That's awesome. Well, and next time we speak, I want you to do that voice that you just did as well the entire time, because that voice <laughs> was phenomenal. I want to hear that, uh, that again, but yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and, uh, I'd love to, uh, have a cup of coffee with you sometime. So when you are that expert, let me know. And uh, we'll do the next podcast in your in your apartment there. So that's Amazing. awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Dory? Oh, you know that's that's such a nice question. I think what I try to do, especially um, you know, I especially I, I try to do this with everybody in my life, but I I really um, I'm certainly in the mindset with coaching clients or um, with people in my recognized expert course and community. But I think it's really important. You know, most people don't get enough positive affirmation in their lives. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, it's kind of not not a thing. People don't think about it. Maybe their family wasn't in the habit of it or whatever. But it's just like a nice thing. And so I really try um, again with with everybody. But but I I have a special I feel like a special responsibility for people who are sort of under my charge in some way. That if I see them doing something good, I really want to be explicit about it and praise it with them because. Um, it's, it, I think it's just meaningful for people and, and people might feel like, oh, it's lame, you know, uh, grownups shouldn't need that. But it's nice, it's nice for everybody to have something be noticed and remarked upon. So I try to do that. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because literally yesterday I had a coaching client that has been making a ton of progress in their business 
And I was like, we have got to celebrate this. There's so much to celebrate here. This is amazing. And they're like, seriously? I'm like, the number one thing that we're missing in America is celebration. There is nothing too small to celebrate. And we don't give ourselves that gift enough and to focus on, hey, we're making progress and be grateful for where you are. Because I think that that, you know, the energy that you can emit through gratitude and all those things is so powerful. But Dory, you are amazing. I really appreciate you. And um, this has been an amazing conversation. I've learned so much. Uh, is there anything, any other parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today? Uh, thank you so much, Tyler. It's great talking with you. I'll just mention because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the ideas around spreading your ideas and the ideas in, in uh, standout, you know, how do you, how do you build a following around your idea? So if people are especially interested in that, I do have a free resource, which is my standout self-assessment. It is a 42-page workbook that actually helps you think through what your breakthrough idea is and how to get traction for it in the world. And if folks want to get it for free, they can go to doryclark.com slash join, J-O-I-N. Excellent. And we will put a link in the show notes there, of course, where you can access that free resource. We'll also put links uh, on where you can find Dory across social media. Of course, she's on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Is there anywhere else that you would like to, uh, to share where people can find you and connect with you further? Ah, well, th those are great options. Uh, if you want the latte art pictures, Instagram is the place to go. That is where I post my uh, my my efforts. The latest one uh, somehow came out looking like Pac-Man with little uh, with little pellets, like a ghost in pellets. So, uh, so I was especially kind of proud of that. I'm like, this is not this is not the goal that I intended, but it's still pretty cool. Uh, so, if you want to if you want to track along with the latte art successes, Instagram is where it's at. Uh, if you want more business advice, probably LinkedIn. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And, and if I was doing art, I can only imagine what it would look like. I appreciate art, but I'm not an artist myself in, in that capacity, but you are becoming so as a barista. So I can't wait to see that. And uh, Dory, I really appreciate you taking time to be on, on Elevate and Elevate Nation. I want to thank you so much for being here. I want to thank you so much for listening. And I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because there are a ton of nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life, to your future, to your business, to your real estate portfolio. And I want to encourage you to pay this forward and share this with a friend who are, you know, who's someone on your team, someone in your family, one of your friends that would really benefit from listening to this show. So I want to encourage you to pay it forward. And at the end of the day, the most important part is to take massive action, apply what you learned today. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Dory, thank you again for being here. Thanks so much, Tyler. Take care. My pleasure. Elevate Nation. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.